don't need to preach. Just listen to the music throughout the morning. And we've been given some clear, clear guidance, finishing with the every time I feel the Spirit, which, by the way, the Spirit is always moving. So therefore, when, would we, when should we be praying? Always. There you go. You're picking stuff up. That's why one of AIC's core values is we will prayerfully depend on the Lord in all times and in all seasons. I'll be honest, uh, trying to live a life of love, especially when you name it and you say, I'm going to do this, often presents itself as a challenge and as difficult. And regardless of where you're from, there's a good chance you've seen news recently that's anything but loving. For instance, if you are from Hong Kong, you see a nation that's honestly struggling with identity. Where do we fit? How do we fit with our leaders to the north? How do we fit here? And we wonder what to do with that. And so the natural human tendency is we argue with each other, right? Or if we move south a little bit to where many of our congregation is from to the Philippines, we saw on the BBC this week that it was the deadliest day in the battle against drugs in the history of the Philippines, where many people were killed capital punishment for the sake of protecting, protecting the country from drugs getting out on the street. And you wrestle with the very question of what's the value of human life? Should one that could lead to the death of others be killed? And that's a big question. You want to wrestle with that further, join the counterculture uh, um, discipleship class. Or you move to my nation uh, and... <laughs> And I've measured these words very carefully as I've prepared this week, and I typed them out so that I don't get them wrong. I'm from a nation that on all sorts of fronts is tearing itself with division and hate across everything from racial to moral to relational divides. And in all these things, we, the church, are left with this question of, what on earth do we do now? If you move back 2,000 years, you come to this church in Corinth, a land full of relativism, worship any god, do whatever you feel is best, uh, go whichever direction you want, to whom much is given, well, you're better, was their motto, uh, according to my translation. And it seeped into the church. And Paul writes these letters to the church in Corinth. And he's crying out to them saying, don't just want the gifts that show how great you are. There is a better way to live in a broken world. And Josh McDowell calls it a relational apologetic. In other words, there's a way that shows the world to a relationship with Jesus Christ that's defined by love. And so last week, as we worked our way into this uh, a bit, I gave you some homework assignments. And with each week, we've come to this time in the worship service. And it's not going to be long, but I asked you to discover two new points of connection with someone in your circle this week. Why? Why did I do that? Because if you discovered two new points of connection, it meant you were listening rather than talking. It meant you were hearing where they were rather than just telling them who to be. 
It meant you were involved in your life. And so I asked you to be prepared to come back. And I expect that everybody in this room committed at least one act of kindness in the previous week. I don't want you to tell me about it. We're just proud that you did it and we're confident that you did. But I would like to hear from a few of you, just one or two sentences like each time. What did you learn? Please don't tell us the name of that person that you learned from this week. We don't need to know that. But what we do need to know is what you learned from others this week. What did you learn from someone this week? It could have been your spouse, which by the way, they need to know they're loved and valued by you too. So anybody want to raise their hand and say, hey, this is a new point of connection I made with someone this week. Remember, I told you the homework assignments would, would get more personal each week. Wait till you see this week's or just look at your bulletin insert there at the bottom. Oh, nobody's willing. See, it gets tougher. It gets scarier. It gets riskier when we say, God, help me love. Help me stand in the middle of the mess and show you to people that don't deserve it. Why do we do that? Well, because there's a more excellent way to live. There's a more excellent way for the church to show the world who Jesus is. I'm really excited uh, to announce publicly, I don't think I've actually done it publicly yet, but in the beginning of November, we have our annual church retreat. This year, it's going to be at a new camp with nicer rooms and more comfortable beds, and all God's people said, woohoo! And I'm told that the food is better, too. I'll test that out in early September and let you know. But we're also privileged to have uh, Pastor Mark Price come back and lead those sessions with us. And as he does, we're going to be looking at the idea of a city on a hill. The camp is going to be called Camp on a Hill because it's sitting on the side of a hill. I'm super creative in my titles these days. But in so doing, we were reminded that Jesus called the church to be salt and light, that we are to shine the light, the life, and the love of Jesus to everyone around us, starting with each other and moving outward as we exalt him in all things. And Paul knew this to be true, and Paul was teaching the church there is a better way to love. You've got to be the city on a hill. You've got to let the world know who Jesus is as you seek to help people in their spiritual journeys. But it starts with how we treat each other. And what we've learned so far, if you remember, is that Christ's love in us empowers us. It's his power to do these things. I don't want to be confusing at all. I don't want you to think that in your own strength you will be all the time patient, kind, never keeping a record of wrong, and the list goes on. We're not going to succeed at that on our own. Do you doubt me? Go ahead and try apart from God. We will fail. We do fail time and time again. But God, who is rich in love and mercy, shows us a way to live. But not only that, but as he empowers us to live in love, he enlarges our view. He gives us a bigger picture of the world that when we look at these crises throughout the world, throughout uh, genocide in different parts of the world, throughout massive abortions happening all over, and we cry out, Lord, help us to show your love 
He helps us to see people in need and walk with them rather than blindly condemning them. And he brings us together as one body to do it, as the church, capital C. And he says, we're in this together. We are called to show how we will function together. It's why uh, I love the privilege of singing and fellowshipping and offering together in a worship gathering because so many different people are able to use so many different skills and gifts and abilities to bring glory to God and encourage each other. But I realize that we can talk a lot about love, but if we don't make sure that at the beginning we've got the biblical foundation, which we do have, but we can easily forget it, we begin to think that love is a feeling. Which, by the way, I've misquoted a number of things throughout our series. First, in the first half, the first sermon, we were comparing uh, real love versus fake love, and I told you there was a fake story about a toddler fight club. Well, unfortunately... That proved to be true, that there was a group of parents that got their kids together to fight. So my fake news wasn't so fake anymore. Uh, then uh, in week two, I told you about the obligation that we have in red packets without knowing the full history that went into them. And originally, those red packets, especially in the time of a wedding, were not just given as a way to pay for the wedding. They were actually words of encouragement Spent, meant to give wisdom and impart knowledge upon the younger generations. So there's great redemption in those red packets. There's more to them than just money. And last week, the most egregious error I made of all, I attributed the song More Than a Feeling to the band Sticks. And if you know anything about late 70s music, you know that that was egregiously wrong, that Boston sings that song. So if I offended you by missing which band sang that great, wonderful song, please forgive me. If for no other reason than love does not keep a record of missed bands. Okay? We need to understand what love really is. It's not just a feeling. First, love is always relational. Remember, if God is love, as Mark so well led us through in communion a couple weeks ago, if we understand God is love, he is in relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together as one body, as one person. I know it's confusing for our finite minds. That's why he's bigger than us. And in so doing, he invites us into relationship. And in relationship... Love gives oneself away for the benefit of others. It's a simple definition, and we can go deeper and deeper and deeper into that. But as you look at verses 4 through 7 of 1 Corinthians, each one of those are self-giving, giving oneself away to benefit others. No greater example of that is found in scriptures than Jesus Christ giving himself as a ransom for many, that we might be set free from sin and death and be entered into eternal relationship with God the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit, constantly enjoying fellowship with him. That is the very picture of true love. It's who Jesus is, and it's what we're called to. So how do we do it? We open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13 and we finish the chapter starting with verse 8. 
And right off the bat, you're like, well, Mike, I don't fit that bill. Well, neither do I, so bear with me. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully. Even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Sorry. Now, I want us to make sure we understand what Paul is writing here to this church. See, they were, they were hoping for and seeking out and elevating those that had what Paul refers to as the higher gifts. Those that had the gift of prophecy were held to a higher level of appreciation and honor and would eat first. Those that had more resources would eat first and leave the others behind, as you saw in what Paul says about celebrating communion together in 1 Corinthians 11. And then he goes on and he says, but these gifts, they're going to pass away. There's one thing that remains, and that's love. Love does not, the Greek word there where it says love never fails, we've had a hard time coming up with the best explanation of it. Love actually does not collapse. The love of God doesn't break down under pressure. It grows stronger. The love of God doesn't fail. We do. That's why we needed Jesus. That's why the covenant theology of a forgiveness of sins is so important for us. We needed a ransom to be paid for our sins. We needed to understand that love does not collapse. It continues through death into eternity. We are always loved by God. Just go ahead for a second and consider that. In all reality, regardless of where we've grown up or what worldview we've grown up living, do we truly believe that God always loves us? Honestly, in, in, in the depth of your soul, do you believe that regardless of how much you've failed, God still loves you? Or... Do we get caught shifting back into religion that says, God will love me if, God will love me more when, and we get caught up in the pattern? Those verses that come before, love is patient, love is kind, those only work out of a response to receiving God's love. It's not the other way around. We've already been assured of God's love. And by believing in Jesus Christ and being given him as our savior, our identification is secure. Love does not fail. The devil cannot snatch us away from the love of God. The love of God is so strong that it cannot be broken. 
But when we think about our world, if you, you know, if the weekend really is your weekend and you're getting ready for work tomorrow, you can feel the weight of pressure that can feel like too much to bear. Now, I'm not asking you to agree with me on that statement, but I suspect some of you will go back to work tomorrow with a heavy heart, feeling like, how will I get all this done? My boss is never happy, you know, all these things. And it can just feel like too much. And then we go in and we've disappointed yet someone else. And we feel like a failure. But we are not because God is not. We may make mistakes. And when we make mistakes, if they are sin, we confess our sins. He he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we've made a mistake at work, do something countercultural. Apologize, acknowledge that I made a mistake, and then move on. Who knows? God might have you in that workplace environment to be the one that shows everybody else there's a different way to live and behave. Who knows who might need to see that we can take responsibility for our actions because our identity is in Jesus Christ. And our eternity has already been purchased. They don't deserve our love, but we didn't deserve God's. Therefore, we can live a different way. The only strength that we have to love this hurting world. Almost every day this week, I met with a different person that had a different story of hurt, of loss, of pain, of betrayal. And you know, it can feel like a lot. And only God can help us through that because his love never fails. It's his strength and his endurance and his patience and his kindness given by his grace that help us get out of bed in the morning. I'm not going to lie. There were a couple of days this week where I was like, let me try again tomorrow. Or I walked outside and just the heat kicked me in the face and I'm like, no, I'm going back. My room is comfortable. But it's the love of Christ that compels us to take that step out into a world knowing that God's love never fails and says that I'm going to show a world what real self-giving love is. I'm going to give myself away to love one another. Mike, how do I do that? Well, let me give you a practical example. Each week I want to give practical examples, right? Well, if you are a father, so I know I've alienated a lot of you already, and then if you have a daughter, I've alienated some more of you. The rest of us, just bear with me for a second. Why not join us for a father-daughter ball and let your daughter know how valuable she is to you? Who knows how much that might speak to her in ways that, you know what, especially if she's a teenager, she'll never tell you until she's like 40, but it might come back. It might give her just the boost she needs as she embarks on a new school year that she knows dad's with her. Or you might show up and some of us in our midst, go to prison ministry every week or every other week. And we've seen, look, the candle is lit yet again because people have partnered with the gospel and shown the love of Christ to those that have seemingly no hope. And they say there is hope, there is light, and there is life, and there is love, and it's in Jesus Christ. And people accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Or maybe we can love in times of sadness and we can be the body of Christ 
it was a sad thing to know that James Young, um, who'd been a part of the AIC family for many years, and uh, Belinda and Theo and Natalie are with us today, but we said goodbye to James, who is now enjoying the presence of God fully, as we have yet to know. But it was also encouraging to know the impact that he had had on so many lives. Because if you saw that hall, knowing that the church all over Hong Kong got together, that there were connections in that room that spoke of the testimony of one man committed to loving all those he came in contact with. And the room couldn't hold them all. People had to stand outside in the foyer because there was no more room. No doubt we will all miss James, but his legacy of love lives on because he was sold out around the mission of bringing people together with the love of Christ. They were called J-seekers. They still are called J-seekers. If you want to know more, ask around because there's probably a good chance that somebody in this group knows all about them. Remember, it's Christ's love that unifies us And it's his love that never collapses, even when everything around us does collapse. The love of God never fails us. Not only that, but the more we focus our attention on God's love, not on what we expect from other people, we'll notice that our love grows because it's focusing on perfect love. Our ability to love others that don't deserve it becomes a humble love of grace because we didn't deserve it. As we grow to depend more on Jesus Christ, as we enjoy more of his word and of learning from him and walking with him, our love and our capacity to love increases. But it does take work. Much like parenting, It's it's a process of maturity, isn't it? My mom, I love her, but there were a few days in my life where I don't remember her telling me, Mike, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but you will become a man. Sometimes it stopped there. It was this expectation that might grow up. You know what? She still says that to me sometimes. But there is this expectation of maturity. And it doesn't just happen magically. We keep thinking, oh, one day I'm just going to be great. I am going to be that real disciple of Jesus Christ, right? Well, does parenting get easier? No. We start, and it is really kind of easy in one sense, because what we do is we tell the kid to obey what I say right away. See, it rhymes. It's easy to remember. When they're little, they know that your word is absolute, right? You that are still parenting young ones, enjoy it while it lasts. They may not always obey, but you know at the end of the day, because I said so still works. But as we get older, and as our children get older, and they move into the teenage years, we've got to teach them to think critically, to look around this broken world and make wise decisions of how do I consume media, What do I do with this? How do I choose my friends? Because no matter what, at some point, helicopter parenting will let us down because we cannot be everywhere with our children. 
And so we're trying to give them the framework to be mature adults. And then as they move into adulthood, we challenge them to make wise choices. Do they always make wise choices? Did you? No. Do they make the choice of career that you wanted? No, not always. Why? Because they're their own person. And so now the role has moved into affirming their potential more than ever and letting them see how to make a wise choice in career, in money, in love, in relationships. And we're there as their biggest cheerleaders. We're there as their biggest supporters even when they fail. See, parenting has shifted as the child has matured. And then over time, we get to enjoy the fruits of our labor as hopefully they begin to care for us in a new way. It's amazing what love looks like as it grows up. In the same way, we often think that one day we should magically be a perfect disciple. But actually doing anything about it, nah. Because I'm too tired to spend time with Jesus in the morning. I'm too busy or too hungry to come to discipleship class in the Sunday mornings. And by by the end of the week or whenever my community group that I should go to meets, I don't have time for that. I've got to be around people. And we suddenly realize that we're not making any time to grow. We're not making any time to walk in community, in that sweet sound of fellowship, one with another, spurring each other toward love and good deeds while it is still called today. We won't grow if we don't practice. You're not going to get better at something if you don't try. If we don't depend on the Holy Spirit to shape us as we walk in community with each other. Just as I've said at the beginning that we won't love without the power of the Holy Spirit. We won't grow well without community. We need each other. We need discipleship classes. Some of you may wrestle with on a very personal level, I don't know how to connect with God. I open my Bible, I try to read, I try to pray, and either I fall asleep or I'm confused. You're not alone. But there are tools and there are people that can help. So why not join us in that journey on Sunday mornings at 9.30? Or maybe you wonder and maybe you've found people in your life. I was sitting in America when a good friend of mine sits down and he said, My sister came home and told me her son is now identifying as a woman. What do I do with that? It's a great question. That's the world we find ourselves in today. A world where we can redefine absolutes because we feel this way. How does the church respond? How do we respond to such big questions when the world says there are no absolutes and I say, yes, there is. He is God. And he shows us a right way to live, a way that brings people in toward himself. And for you that wonder and and wrestle with these big questions, which we all should wrestle with these because they're all around us, I say join us at 9.30 on Sunday mornings and with our group on counterculture and consider how we can give a reason for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus to a world wondering what's the point, to a world that says we're nothing but intolerant, and bigots. Are we? No. We're inviting people to a bigger life than they ever knew was possible. 
And some of you just long to know you have a place in this world. And at the heart of why our community groups exist is that we grow together. Wherever we are in our spiritual journey, there is a place for you. And we welcome you in. And we invite you to be part of a community. Are we perfect? No way. I know my group's not perfect because I go. And you can take your pick. But the point is, we grow together in community. So how are we growing in love? Are we ordering our lives around ways to grow together? Are we ordering our lives in a way that allows us to spur each other, to encourage each other in love? Or are we just hoping we catch it as it flies by? What steps are we taking to give us the chance to grow to be more like Jesus? And then further, what steps are we taking that gives others the chance to grow with us? That's often where it sticks in the church, is I want to be responsible for my spiritual well-being, but don't make me responsible for someone else's. That's scary. Yeah. It's a joy to walk with someone. They might let us down. We might let them down. But God's love never fails. And his call to make disciples of all, never, all nations never ceases. So as long as it's still called today, we keep diving into life together, right? It's, it's kind of obvious. When I was a child, I acted like one. But when I became a man, I know that's debatable. But the more mature I grow, the more I hunger and thirst for his ways the more I get excited about walking with people even if they're not quite where I wish they were. The more grace there is to give away to those that really don't deserve it, the less I say those stupid people and spend more time saying, my heart breaks for them. How can I walk with them? See, there's a difference. As we grow in love for Christ, we grow in love for a broken people that need his love more and more. And then finally, and this one, uh, <laughs> this one's fun because we live in a busy society, don't we? True love causes us to function on God's time. Now, in theory, that sounds great, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's easy. Good. Have we ever wanted something right now? Have we ever told God how to fix a solution right now? Have we ever gone ahead and done something for God rather than sitting and resting with Him? No, Mike, never. Well, your church is in one of those seasons right now. Did you know that? Many of you ask me, Mike, what's the future of AIC hold? Are we supposed to be at Butterfly Valley? Are we supposed to be here? What's going on? Good question. And here's what I can say. With all love, AIC will be a church that follows where the Lord leads in his perfect timing. Here's what we, the under-shepherds of AIC, are currently committed to. We are always committed to gathering together, growing in Christ, giving of our time and resources, and going wherever he opens the door to go. That will never change. That is the mission of the church. We will not withdraw from that. However, as situations around us have become more and more fluid and maybe to us confusing, we know a couple of things. One, we have a wonderful ministry opportunity to continue ministering here in Wampo. 
So as long as God allows it, we're going to have a presence here. Two, there is a mission field that looks probably different in Butterfly Valley at that new school. And over time, if the Lord allows us to plant a church there, we will seek the best way to do that as a community. That may not mean that all of AIC moves over there. In fact, we hope not because we want to multiply. And we want to give people a place to worship freely, to bring glory to God. But it may not look exactly like what we expected it would look like when we started this journey 10 years ago. That's what I know. As I know more, I'll keep telling you. As there's uncertainty, I'll keep embracing it. Because God's timing is bigger than my timing. And every plan I've made, he said, wait a minute. And so I've said, okay, Lord, you've got my attention. So why don't we go where you lead us in your timing? I was reminded when Justin led us in that first song, Glory to His Name, the first time I remember being moved by that song, I was in a place called Tiger, Georgia. If you know anything about America, you know there's Georgia, there's Atlanta, which many people have heard of, and then there's every other part of Georgia, which is where they start talking like this. Okay, that's as much as I'm going to do, but I used to talk like that. It's the second longest place I've lived in my life uh, over time, if you accumulate it. Well, in this place called Tiger, Georgia, there was a barbecue place called Oinkers. That tells you everything you need to know about the town. The barbecue joint was named Oinkers, and it was amazing. And they had all-you-can-eat ribs for eight U.S. dollars. I know, everybody's focused on that. But also in that town, they would have bluegrass guys playing. If you know what bluegrass music is, it's like country music that's creative. In my opinion. And I remember one night, I'd gone to Oinkers. I don't remember who with. I hadn't met Melissa yet, so she wasn't there. And we were in this town of Tiger, Georgia, uh, and there was a bluegrass band playing, and they were playing Glory to His Name with a banjo and a hammered dulcimer. If you don't know what a hammered dulcimer is, it's a piano that you hit the keys kind of thing instead of playing them, and it's magical. And I remember sitting there watching these guys, and they looked like American Southerners. One guy had straw coming out of his mouth, another had it coming out of his head. But you know what? They started singing that song, and it didn't matter what they looked like or sounded like. They were honoring the Lord. And I was so struck by their creativity and their innovation. And in God's time, he put me at the right spot to be reminded of who he is, that he has made all of us in his image. And we are called to worship him together. And show the world what that looks like. A northerner sitting around enjoying worship through bluegrass music does not fit any box. But God's love does. And his timing is perfect. The more I try to rush him, the more he slows me down. I recently came across an article or a story that I thought many of you musicians might enjoy. This young man named Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart lived with his father, Leopold, Leopold, who himself was a fine musician. And they lived in Vienna, okay? And as uh, Mozart grew, or as Wolfgang grew, he said to have played a trick on his dad repeatedly. When young Wolfgang would come home from spending the evening with his friends, um, his father would already be asleep in bed. You know, we 
Parents can sometimes relate to that. And Wolfgang would go to the piano and would play loudly a rising scale of notes, getting slower and louder as they reached the resolution at the top of the scale. And then he would stop one note short. And he would go to bed. Now, those of you that understand what I just said are sitting there thinking, oh, you've got to finish that scale. You've got to finish the note. Because it's, for English teachers, it's a hanging participle. You can't leave it alone. Engineers, I'm sorry, I don't have an equivalent for you because I'm not one. But old Leopold, so the story goes, would toss and turn in bed as the unfinished scale came into his dreams and imagination. And the frustration of having one's musical senses aroused in that way without resolution would become too hard to bear. Eventually, he would have to drag himself from his sleep, stagger downstairs and play the last note and then go to bed. How many times is that like our spiritual life? What we see is unfinished. God sees us right where we're supposed to be, resting in him. But we keep rushing out of bed to do it our way instead of waiting on his timing. And he keeps saying, just wait for me and that last note will be sweet perfection when I'm ready. But we keep telling him, no God, it's now. Because I've got a plan. And I think of God, and and he does have a sense of humor, I'm convinced, of looking at us and saying, oh, they think they know so much. But I've got the plans. And my plans will never fail. Because God never fails. So whatever journey you find yourself in, in this journey of love, As you look, all these other things pass away. Paul is saying, hey, these spiritual gifts that you guys are exalting so much, they're child's play. They're for everybody. But here's the thing. Love covers all of them. Love is to be valued among just showing how great we are because love points us to the love of God. And every one of the gifts will pass away when the completeness of God is made full once again. What do I mean by that? When Jesus Christ returns and ushers in the new heaven and the new earth and we enjoy him forever, we won't need spiritual gifts of prophecy anymore, right? Why not? Because we're with him. Where a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, we will know and be known by him in perfection. The gifts fade, but the love of God never does. He is eternal, and he invites us into that eternal relationship. And that's why Paul finishes with faith, hope, and love. The theologian uh, N.T. Wright says it this way, Faith looks at God made known in Jesus and trusts him for everything. Loving Christ by trusting him with every bit of our lives. That's faith. Hope looks ahead to God and what he'll do in the future, which is already assured by Jesus' resurrection. Jesus has already won the battle. We look forward with great hope that this world will be redeemed and we live hopeful lives. Not because what we see around us is so hopeful, but because he is at work. And love 
will finally know as it is known and will embrace as it is already embraced. It's the most excellent way. It lasts forever. And it's all his. And we will be in that love forever. Wouldn't we want to bring others with us? Wouldn't we want to live bringing everyone with us, knowing that we can give that love away? So then, how do we move forward? Well, each week I said there'd be homework, and this is our last bit in 1 Corinthians 13. So there's one more homework assignment. You, now, you didn't report what you did last week. You're a little too shy, so you're going to get one more chance next week, I promise, as we look at the mission of the church uh, again. Oops, I already gave you that slide. See, what now? First, ask God to open your eyes to an eternity of abiding in his love. Mike, I don't understand what you mean when you say abiding. Okay, abiding means living in his love. And if it confuses you, could I invite you this week not just to read 1 Corinthians 13, but read 1 John, the letter, to, uh, the, the letter John wrote to the church, because he talks all about what it means to love Christ and love one another. It's a great place to understand living in the love of God. Second, ooh, here, I'm asking you to write something down. I even gave you the piece of paper to do it on. See, it's your sermon notes right there, okay? Write down one way you know you need to grow. This isn't me asking you to be self-critical and saying what a failure you are at life. But we all know deep in our spiritual lives that there are ways we'd like to grow. I would like my prayer to be more conversational where I listen more to God. There, I've told you. And I've written it down. And let's see. You can ask me as the weeks go on. Mike, how's your prayer life? Okay? In the same way, tell someone how you're asking God to help you grow in love and what that looks like for you. And then third, this is a big one, and it's pretty simple, and it's right back to where we started. Give the love of Christ away freely. Who can you do something for that doesn't deserve it or that might be painful or that might be difficult? They might sleep next to you in bed every night. They might be a child. They might be a coworker. They might be a stranger. But ask God for the love that he has given us and the opportunity to give that away because our world cries out for it. On its own, it will continue to rip itself apart. We're assured of that. But because of what Jesus has done, we know there's hope. His resurrection assures that. And we will live in eternity in love. Why wouldn't we want to bring people with us? So this week, seek out the opportunity to love and invite others in. Lord, thank you for your love that compels us to love big and to love fully. Please, please open our eyes to you. Open our eyes to resting in your love, waiting on your time and enjoying your work, even if it feels incomplete to us. Lord, you are our God and our King. May our lives be full of your worship. Amen.